What's up, my humans? What's up, my peop the people of the world? How are you doing? Uh, cool. That's good. Good to, good to talk to you. Welcome to the second episode of Daydreaming with Maddie Carteropel. I'm Maddie Carteropel. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. Uh, hope you're all doing well. Hope you're all having a good week. Uh, so setting up the podcast here and, uh, uh, I couldn't find, uh, the cord for the microphone. And then I went around looking for it for a while. And then I realized that it was right in front of me, right next to me the whole time. So this is a common, uh, ADD thing that happens. Uh, also, you know, I don't do it as much, but I'll like, I'll maybe leave something in a, in the fridge that's not supposed to be there, like a stapler or, or uh, binder, you know, I know those, I, I don't know why it's all office supplies, but it, it, <laughs> It'll happen. I guess that's my filing cabinet. Uh, it happens on occasion. Okay. All right. Don't judge. Uh, that's one of the things I have to deal with with ADD. I also can't find my keys a lot of the times, but I've gotten better about this. Um, I can find my keys now. Um, but yes, yeah, some other, uh, you know, some other myths about ADD, I guess, is you know, people with ADD, they're not on time, but I am actually very punctual. I always arrive, like to arrive um, maybe a half hour or 15 minutes before I have a, an appointment or sometimes even an hour because uh, I like being on time. Oh, crap. Just got a text that came in. So we'll turn on. Hey, Siri, do not disturb. Thank you, Siri. See, I forgot to do that. That's an ADD thing, kind of. That might just be a human thing. Um, so yeah, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. I'm very punctual. That's one thing that uh, I will say about myself. Uh, but when I was younger, I was not punctual. When I was in you know, middle school, junior high, high school, always late to class, dragging my feet. Uh, I would get detention for being late. Um, I had this vice principal. His name was Mr. Willie. Yes, <laughs> that was his name, Mr. Willie. And uh, I think he kind of trained me not to be late because I got so many detentions. So I guess now in life i think like oh i better not be late or mr mr willie will give me a detention uh, on some certain level but i i just want to say that i am very reliable and i am on time uh thank you i just wanted to get that out there i just wanted you to know that it's important but anyway uh so let's do some some potting some potting 
no, we're not going to be dealing with frogs. We're going to be listening to some audio uh, of me interviewing a very cool, uh, very talented uh, writer-producer. Her name is Mary Laws. That's right, Mary Laws. Uh, she wrote and created this show and produced this show that I was in called Monsterland. It's on Hulu. Check it out. It's out now. It's streaming. It's an anthology series. It's really great. If you love, um, if you love uh, the horror genre and just kind of real life, um, it's, it's great. I really love it. It's really well done. Um, she also, uh, was a writer on Succession, and she wrote a film called The Neon Demon. So check out her work. She's very, very talented. I was lucky enough to get to talk to her. She's super cool. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, uh, just kind of dive right into this. Just kind of dive in like a swimmer. Um, all right, put on those goggles because we'll be swimming. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you don't need to wear goggles. Well, you might need to. It is a pandemic out there. But yeah, uh, thank you for listening to this, uh, this episode. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, uh, all that jazz. Subscribe, comment. Thank you so much. Enjoy the interview. So here we go. Let's dive on in. All right. Diving in. Here we go. Daydreaming. Daydreaming. Sit back and enjoy the ride. How are you? Great to good. see you. Can that you... background is so good. Those flowers. That's nice. Oh, man, it is flowers. <laughs> um, I'm trying to set up. This is Heather. Hi. Well, hey. Hello. Wait one second. Hey. I'm here. Oh, no worries. Hi. Hey, hey you were so good, man. It was, oh, like, thank you're, you. You're incredible. Oh, show, thank dude. you. So good. Thank yeah, you no so problem. much. Yeah, the show's incredible. Yeah. I love it. I was it. telling her what a, like, all-around favorite you are. I watched it with some friends the other day, and they were like, wait, we know that guy. We love that guy. Man, he's in oh, everything. And I was like, yeah, awesome. man, he's awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I had a blast doing it. It was great. Yeah. I was so glad you were a part of it. I'm trying to make sure my microphone is set up the right way. Do I, okay. Heather, do I need to like on the audio? You should be recording. This is a podcast, right? Yeah. So I think, that, I mean, the way we do it. I have this guy. Oh, nice. I have the same one. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Uh, you want to speak the Yeti. into this. Okay. Um, and then also. So I can kind of put it like here. Yeah. Oh, yeah that sounds good. Here. Okay. Uh, and then uh, do you, do you want her recording separately on GarageBand and then sending you the audio file? Um, I'm, I'm recording now the video. The on, video and, and okay. Uh, and, and this is all you yeah. need. Yeah. But okay, if, perfect. As a backup, if you want to do that, that's fine. Do you, it's you totally up to it. you, man. I um, let me just make sure that. Okay, so yeah, it's on. And then you. Want and to then use... I want to use my earbuds. Mm -hmm. 
sweet. Buds. Heather has a podcast also, and oh, sweet! So she always sets me up for these because I that's am awesome. tech, tech challenged. That should be it. Try. Okay, great. Does that sound good to you? It sounds. You sound really good. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you, honey. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Nice meeting you. <laughs> he says, "Nice meeting you." Nice meeting you. <laughs> um. Uh, I, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm, um, yeah, I'm really grateful that like, um, some of this press and, and stuff for the show has been dying down now, which is really nice because I have a little bit more free time and, yeah. um, and I, I need, I needed it for my yeah, own san yeah. sanity. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, repeating the same kind of thing can get taxing. But just, of course, just it's being great, in front of people can get taxing. Like yeah. I don't, I don't know how you right. do what what you do. I feel like it's so. Anyway, this is probably stuff you want to talk about on no, the on this the is podcast. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we can we can start now. We're rolling. Yeah, so great. Let's do can, it. This, we can dive in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it does get taxing to be in front of people, but you get you get used to it and whatnot. Yeah, so, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, yeah. My sounds. I'm just making sure my sounds coming through. It is. Okay, yeah. great. Can, you can hear me, okay? Yep. Okay, cool. All right, awesome. Well, uh, Mary, thank you so much for doing this. Um, you're the best. Uh, <laughs> you're the best. No, you are. No, uh, you are. <laughs> so. Uh, Mary, uh, I guess tell the, the listeners or the audience um, a little bit about yourself and your, your background in writing. And are you in LA right now or are you? Um, yes. Okay, cool. I am. Yeah, I live in LA. Um, I've lived here for about, it might be five years now. I think five years now. Yeah. Um, one of which I've just spent entirely inside my house. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, a, a little bit about me. I mean, I think we're talking because um, I was a showrunner of the show that you were on, Monsterland, which is um, on Hulu. Um, all episodes streaming. Give it a listen. Um, or a watch. Or a watch. You could do either. <laughs> um, give it a watch. Um yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. How far back do you want to go? Yeah, I, uh, um, I guess I was born a wee babe, <laughs> May twelfth, nineteen eighty six. Awesome. Any other events happen in nineteen eighty six that you can remember? <laughs> um, no, I, I really have no idea what happened in nineteen eighty six. I was really busy drinking milk and sleeping um nice. <laughs> cool so um did you uh where'd you go to high school were you into writing in high school at all or how, yeah when was your first memory of like oh i i really enjoy this writing writing is fun yeah i i i've always liked writing um i i so i grew up in texas um, in a town called the Woodlands, which is uh, a master planned community um, 
for those who don't know what that is, it's kind of like the town of Agrastic on weeds. So if you've ever watched the television show Weeds, it's one of those planned communities where everything looks just exactly the same. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of a nightmare town. And um, like prefab houses, prefab, like everything just sort of boxed and Anyway, they had a really great, because it was like sort of a wealthy community and I was not from a wealthy family, not by any stretch of the imagination, but we somehow lived on kind of the outskirts of this town. Uh, I got to go to the really wonderful public school, which probably would be akin to a lot of private schools in some communities because it had great programs, great facilities. Um, but that's like part of the reason I think my parents wanted to move to this place was because we were going to get really quality education for free, um, my brother and I growing up. And so I went to the Woodlands High School and um, I got into theater. And so I have, that's, that's really like my foray into writing was through theater. Um, I had always really enjoyed writing and enjoyed reading and enjoyed my English classes. And even when I was a kid would write short stories and poems and all, all, all of those kinds of things. But I think when I discovered theater, I did really discovered like a form of storytelling that particularly moved me. Um, and so I just like dived in and, um, I got, I, I, I tried to, I, I started as like a performer because I think that's kind of like when you're in high school, that's the way into things. You're either a performer or you're a techie, right? And so yeah. I, I was less interested in the technical side, although still very interested, um, but kind of came into it from a performance, the performance route and, um, and I couldn't get cast in any of the like local community theater in my hometown. Um, and so for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I would audition, audition. I never got in. And um, so my parents started taking me to a small town in Texas called Tomball, Texas, um, where I started doing uh, <laughs> kind of a uh, 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 sort of, a community theater there with like a community of like total hippies. <laughs> they were like, they weren't, they weren't like kids who wanted to do theater. Although there were kids, there were some young people like my age, but by and large, they were like men and women in their thirties, forties and fifties who had found a community of like sort of weirdos and i mean that in like the best sense of the word but like totally strange um eclectic group of of adults um who had backgrounds and jobs and like all different kinds of professions um but would come together in the evenings to like smoke cigarettes and rehearse a play um at the like middle school auditorium um and i just like I was just like, great, this group, I auditioned for a play and I got in and I was like, oh my God, this group of people is, is going to let me in. And I thought it was the most magical thing in the whole world. I That's mean, beautiful. yeah, my mind just like, like opened up like a, like a, like a walnut and, and suddenly everything in the world was possible to me. Um, and I did play after play after play after play. And my parents, God bless them, would drive me like, it was like an hour each way at least to the rehearsal because it was far outside of town. Um, and and I was just, I, I just fell in love. Um, 
and ended up like, I ended up also working at the Texas Renaissance Festival with a lot of these same people because they were all like, that was kind of, again, like they were all hippies and that's sort of like the other thing that they did. They did this community theater and then they also all worked at the Ren Fair. And um, I just felt really accepted and I felt like, um, you know, and I felt good at it. Like this group of adults made me feel really good at something. And um, I still remember like some of the moments where I would be playing with them, rehearsing with them. And I would, I would discover something. And then this, like, again, this like group of adults. And I was a kid, I was really young. I was like 14, 15. They would be like, you are, you are, um, really interesting. You have, you have a knack for this. You have, and not just acting, but just like you, you understand theater, you understand storytelling was really what I was hearing. And so anyway, um, from there, I just, yeah, I just never turned back and I kept getting farther and farther and farther into, um, the theater world and eventually found my way to, to writing plays through those experiences. Uh, what was the role that you auditioned for? What I mean, what was the part, the first part that you got? That you um, were like, wow, this is awesome. The first play I was in out there with the Tomball Community Theater was um, Amaryllis in The Music Man. So it was a musical. <laughs> and I'm not particularly good at singer. Uh, I can like, I can like get by. I can kind of like carry yeah, a tune. Same, same here. Yeah. I first thought, uh, I, I wanted to be in theater in high school as well and I tried out for a play and I had to sing and I didn't get the part uh-huh. and I think they were like you can be a stagehand and I was like oh you know I kind of had an attitude like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not a stagehand yeah exactly um, so I didn't pursue I didn't I didn't get to do theater mm. um, but that's so cool that you got to that you were embraced by this group of um, hippies, as you call them, or, or weird yeah. or oddballs or beautiful creatures. Yeah, um, they were totally beautiful creatures and really like, really just warm and welcoming of me. And I, I think like, because I also felt like I was a little other um, and yeah. didn't, and especially like, again, like I grew up in this like kind of wealthy community of, of, of white people (laughs) like it was just this very sort of like white bread america and i really did not i felt like a splinter in that community and um and um so finding finding your tribe finding your tribe is important anywhere you are just find your people find your like-minded people find the the ones who will embrace you you know just the best it's literally the best feeling i had that feeling when i went to film school at the mm-hmm. film academy in Los yeah Angeles. and i was like i woke up every morning like looking forward to going to school you know high school was such a, a chore to get up and go every day for me anyway. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but once you find your group you're good you're good that's awesome mm-hmm. so um for your writing what was your first play that you um wrote i mean i honestly have no well, idea when was the first one where you're like oh wow i feel like i'm getting the hang of this i still haven't written one where i feel like i'm getting the hang of <laughs> oh, it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of um, i i guess when i was in high school um 
I had a friend uh, named Courtney who um, wrote a play for like a like a Texas theater competition. In Texas, like theater is um, highly competitive. I mean, I think everything in Texas is competitive. So, you know, football is huge there, but then they also have like band competitions and orchestra competitions and theater competitions. And so there was some kind of like Texas theater festival, something or other that my friend Courtney had written a play for. And then um, they had, she had won and they had, it was like a short play and they had performed it. And I was just like, wow, like that was so impressive to me. Um, and so I wrote a play to submit the following year called like, I don't know, I think it was Alice in Wonderland theme because I was, I had a, sh- oh, a, awesome. a, a stent of like being obsessed with Alice in Wonderland. But um, needless to say, regardless, whatever the play was, it did not win. Um, <laughs> it was... Oh. Um, it was it did not even make it to like the next round it was it was rudely rejected but um probably probably uh it was not very good but i yeah i think you know that was maybe the first play and then i went to college and i still i wasn't really writing i was again a studying performance but i had a teacher there who told me um he told me he thought he, I would make a half-rate actor, but I might make a really good writer. And uh, I guess that's sort of like <laughs> every time I tell that story, people are like, at the time I was like, oh, thank you. Um, but whenever I tell the story, people are generally just like, fuck that guy. <laughs> but, but, but that said, he helped me, um, uh, get a like a playwriting grant for undergrads, and so I got to go to New York and um, have a reading of like a couple of plays that I had written, and that was very important and formative experience for me too. To finally have like a an audience of professionals listening to me, um, and I think it really gave me a jump start into feeling like, oh, maybe this is something I could do for a career. That's awesome. And what was your first, um, your first big gig for you where you were like, wow, this is, uh, this is it. I mean, this is, this is the dream, you know, um, professionally career wise. I've had a couple of those and they aren't always even jobs necessarily. Sometimes they're just milestones, you know, like I, I really wanted to go to graduate school and study playwriting. And I thought that that would open a lot of doors for me and also give me some time to meet other people who are close to my age, who are sort of like budding professionals. Um, and I apply, I had to apply several years before I finally got in. Uh, and that was a really big milestone for me was that I finally, I got in, I went to the Yale school of drama and studied playwriting for three years. Um, but yeah, sort of had to bang on that door for a long time until until I finally got in. And and people, you know, honestly, people told me like, stop, stop trying. You know, they only accept three people a year. Why don't you do something else? But I just, I don't know. I just wouldn't give up. And I probably like even, yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think like probably to awesome. this day, if I hadn't gotten in, I would, I would, I would 
still be trying. I, I just think it's really, really important never to give up, even when your own like beloved friends and family are telling you, oh, well, maybe, you know, if you have a dream, like just go after it. So that was a really big deal. And I guess, you know, the the job that really, I think, kickstarted my actual career was writing a film called The Neon Demon, um, which uh, was my first real professional writing job, um, which is funny because it's a feature film. Um, and I had never, ever thought about writing for film and television, ever. You know, I had always been the theater kid and had plans to like, I mean, even when I got the job, um, I hadn't been seeking that kind of job. I had a theater agent who had sort of slipped my script to um, the director of this film um, who uh, his name is Nick Ruffin, and he just called me and was like, do you want to write a movie with me? It was a very, very strange way to get a first job, and it's really an, an unusual way to get a first job. Um, but he was also, he's an unusual guy, and I think, um, so, you know, thinking about who he is, that that kind of path to, like, hiring someone sound, seems sort of, like, normal. Like, he self-finances all of his own movies, and he's you know, he, he doesn't want to do anything the traditional way. So I got hired in a very untraditional way. Um, yeah, it was really, really, it was really amazing. But even then, even then I got that job and I still was like, I'm not moving to Los Angeles. I'm going to do this job. And then afterwards I'm going to come back, get all my stuff and go to New York and try to be a playwright. Um, but I think that job really changed my life in a lot of ways because I was opened up to, uh, just like a new facet of myself as a writer and something that truly, honestly, I didn't feel that I quite fit in the New York theater scene um, as well as I had hoped I would. Um, I think maybe they weren't responding to my work as, as well as I wanted or, or I wasn't responding to it as much as I wanted to, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. when I came to Hollywood, suddenly I was like, Oh, this feels more right. And so I did this entire movie with Nick and by the end, start to finish, I was like, yeah, this is, again, find your tribe. Like this is where I should be. This is, these are my people. And this is, this is the environment in which I feel like I will be able to flourish. That's awesome. That's so great. So um, just from a, a writer's point of view, what is the process of getting a film made i mean did you have financing for that uh, the neon dream or did you how did that come about yeah the neon, the demon. neon demon sorry the no neon worries demon. it is sort of like a fever dream <laughs> in yeah. and of itself um i mean i don't really i don't have a great answer to that question i i think that i'm not really a film maker um i am a i'm a television writer and and i think that i found after the neon demon i found more of a home in television rather than in features but when i came onto the neon demon you know nick had been thinking about and working on this movie for a long time um he had uh, done a script with another writer this writer named polly stenham who's a very very brilliant writer um which we we ended up not using a lot of her draft, but I think you know um, it w it still was incredibly important and formative, like for our draft. Nick had uh, 
like some French financing and he was also partially financing the movie himself. And so there was a lot of, that was already like in place. Um, he just needed um, the script to come together, which is why I came on board. Um, so in terms of actually getting a movie made, I probably won't have any answers to your questions, but um, that's okay. Yeah. Well, uh, well, what about, so Monsterland, how did this, how did Monsterland um, uh, become born? How did this idea come about? Yeah. So Monsterland, um, I was, you know, so I'd worked on a couple of television shows after I made that movie with Nick and, and again, had sort of realized, oh, television, I think is really exciting to me. And it feels like, um, that's where, that's where like the buzz was. I was like, television is really just like on fire right now. And there's so many different kinds of shows and there's so much room for so many different kinds of voices. And so I had, been thinking for a while, like I would really like to develop a television show myself and see if I could get it off the ground. Um, and I went in for a meeting with Annapurna, uh, who is the studio on Monsterland. And it was just like a general meeting. So just kind of sit down and um, meet, uh, you know, some of their executives, their producers there and just like get to know each other so that if they ever did have like um, some open writing assignments, they call them, um, then they would call on me and be like, hey, are you interested in working on this? Um, but while I was there, I saw a book on the table called North American Lake Monsters, which Monsterland is based off of. Um, and I, it, the blurb on the book was really what drew my eye to it, which is so funny because you never really think about blurbs on books, but it was the blurb on the book. It was like Raymond Carver meets horror or something like that. And I'm a huge horror fan and I'm a huge Raymond Carver fan. And I was like, well, what's this? And uh, I was meeting with Allie Krug, who is one of our producers on Monsterland. And she was like, oh yeah, we actually, you know, that's a book that we have. Maybe you'd be interested in that. And so I took it and read the first story and I was just like, oh my God, I have to do this. It's so brilliant. Um, it's written by Nathan Ballingrud, and I highly, highly recommend everyone both watch Monsterland, but also read the book because it's just gorgeous. Um, and uh, yeah, I just thought like this would be a really interesting anthology series of of horror stories. Um, you know, the book it's is a book of. Incredible, by the way. It's thank so you, thank so you, yeah. thank you so much. I mean, you're so good in it, man. Oh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I, I think the book really, the book was just the draw. I mean, I, you know, you read a lot of, a lot of IP, a lot of open writing assignments. You read and read and read as a as a Hollywood writer, and generally, none of it is all of it has potential to be adapted, but none of it is just like the greatest thing you've ever read. And North American Lake Monsters was like the greatest thing I'd ever read. I was oh. like, who is this person writing these like really um, vulnerable, personal, <laughs> my dog is snoring. Can you hear her? <laughs> Sorry. She's good. She always wants no, to be on the good. podcast too. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I just, I just was like, this is, this is, it just spoke to me so much. And, you know, one thing led to another and we, we started um, 
developing it and then took it out and and sold it uh, to a couple of places in Hulu um, or or got offers to sell it from a couple of places, including Hulu. And Hulu just felt like such a great home for it because um, um, I thought that they were programming some really interesting uh, kind of material and like really different kind of material. And Monsterland is not really like a super traditional horror show. Um, and, and felt like they would take really good care of the idea of the book and of the, of the show. And, and they did. Um, I don't know, that's kind of a long winded answer, but that was sort of the, the development process of the actual series. So did you pick one of the stories from the story and like write up a pilot for them and say, Hey, this is what it would look like. Yes. I wrote, I wrote, so they bought the, the way that it works is they bought the idea. So I went in and we did a pitch with our producers um, and, and sort of an hour long pitch and you tell them this is kind of what the show would be. This is um, episodes. how it would work. Here are some like ideas for different episodes, okay, right? Okay. So it doesn't yeah. have, it's like kind of loosely. Um, here's how some of those characters would carry through from episode to episode, et cetera. Uh, here are the themes and, and this is why we think it's a really important series. And so you go in and you pitch and then they buy the idea and will ask for any number of things. For us, they asked for um, two scripts. So they wanted a pilot script, they wanted a pilot outline and script, and then they wanted a second outline and script. And those ended up being our pilot, which is the first episode of Monsterland and the episode you were in, um, episode three. Um, and so they look at those scripts and sort of then make a decision, well, here's what the show would look like. Do we want to go ahead and put millions and millions of dollars behind this, which is green lighting. And uh, fortunately for us, they did. <laughs> so they, wrote, awesome. they write you a big check um, and then you go to work um, figuring out how to actually make it. That's awesome. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So that's amazing. So um, what was the, so the inspiration by the mermaid episode was uh, part of those stories? Is that- yeah. So all of the stories are either adapted directly from the book or they're kind of inspired by the themes of the book or the way that the horror works in the book. So the the book is like, like I said, it's not really traditional horror. So it's not like a lot of cheap thrills and jump scares and blood and gore and, you know, chasing someone with a chainsaw. Although I love that kind of horror. Um, It's not what necessarily interests me in terms of like creating. And so the book is really like, it's more psychological. It's more metaphorical, honestly, more than anything. It's it's stories about really broken people who encounter monsters, and then these monsters sort of lift lift a veil or open the curtains, and suddenly they're able to see them both themselves and the world a little differently. Um, and then that leads them down a path of whatever. Um, in your episode, in particular, I think you know the 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 main character was in denial about 
something that had happened uh, to her son when he was very young. And when this sort of monstrous presence comes into her life, which is this uh, trumpeter who is a sort of metaphor for her guilt, then she's able to then see what she did. She has been doing these, what cut up. And then her guilt eats her alive in a way. So I, I liked that structure. And that's really what Nathan did in his book. Uh, Nathan in his book was so, so good at putting monsters into these real people's lives and then allowing that to, to change the way that they lived. So when I say everything is adapted from and inspired by the book, you know, it really were in the, in the style of Nathan's stories. We were, we adapted a few of his, but then style of his stories tried to create new, new types of monsters and new types of stories uh, with the intent of making sure that everything was as relevant to present day as possible. Um, You know, so some, some of the new stories that we came up with deal more with like, you know, present day kind of environmental disasters, um, you know, or sexual assault, things that we had felt were really in the, in the news and in the zeitgeist problems that people were wrestling with in contemporary America, but then using the kind of structure of North American Lake monsters and the metaphor of monsters to, to address those more, issuey kind of themes through like a back in a backdoor way um and we were really fortunate also to have nathan um come into the writer's room with us uh for the first couple of weeks and so some of the new stories that were not in his book he really helped us um come up with those ideas and structure those ideas. And so I think we owe a lot of the series to him, not just the ones that were adapted from his stories, but also a lot of the new monsters and a lot of the new stories came in part from his brain as well. That's awesome. And I really liked how you, you had a whole episode about um, bipolar disorder. I thought that was really, really awesome to have that representation. Yeah, Very that's cool. one of the ones that was adapted from Nathan's stories. It's um yeah. it's called the the good husband in his book and to be totally frank with you, I was really scared about adapting that story because you know, I have I both have like um some of my own minor mental health issues, but then I have people in my family who have had bipolar disorder who've struggled with other kinds of mental illness. Um and I know how delicate um, the subject matter is and felt, I think, like even within myself, sort of a resistance to approach it. But the writers all, I had four writers plus Nathan in the writer's room at the beginning, and they were all insistent that it felt like a story um, that we really needed to tell and eventually uh, sort of broke down my own my own boundaries and my own barriers talking about that kind of material it just it felt really scary it felt really raw and very personal um but i think that's you don't want to create a stigma or everyone has their own experience with it you know yeah everyone has their own experience with it but also i i i i was just i was just scared i was scared of like of approaching it from the wrong 
the wrong way. Um, and even when we broke that story in the writer's room, you know, we, we were always, always questioning ourselves. We were always, always asking like, well, you know, how do we tell a monster story about bipolar disorder without saying that people with bipolar disorder are monsters because none of us think that or thought that, but it's your, um, yeah, you're just walking a very, very fine, delicate line, but that's true with really any of the stories, you know, with the story about sexual assault, that's extremely delicate subject matter. Um, you know, our first episode is deals with, you know, single motherhood and, um, issues of abortion. And, um, I say all this and it sounds like it's a really like heavy series. I think it's actually quite fun and and entertaining as well. Um, but, but, you know, you just, you want to do it right. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to cause more pain. And I think that like creating the series, you know, and I think this certain episodes, you know, called on this inside of me more than others, but, but creating the series was very scary um, and extremely vulnerable because I was, I was trying to shine a light on, on certain issues and, and talk about um, sort of the, the complex, various complexities of, of uh, the human experience without not necessarily offending, but without causing more pain. Um, and I think that that's like something that everyone who is writing on such a large scale, you know, any, almost anyone in anyone in the country can watch this show, right? And and right. S- soon many other people through the rest of the world can. And that's a really big responsibility um, to make sure that you're putting something into someone's living room that is that is not going to harm them. It can challenge them. It can move them. It can challenge their own ideas. It can be painful to watch, um, but you don't want to, uh, yeah, increase the stigma of, of, of coming forward as a sexual assault victim or increase the stigma of, of being honest about your struggles with mental illness or, um, just you don't want to do more harm yeah exactly i i i understand that i I started this podcast because about a year ago i was diagnosed with add and Mm -hmm. i've always been called a daydreamer and i wanted to do this podcast but i was also very i'm very scared and fearful to Mm -hmm. be so vulnerable because Mm -hmm. i don't i don't want that stigma of like oh he has ADD. So he has all the things I've heard about and just like, it's not true. There are certain things that you, you, not everyone that has ADD has, you might just have some of the um, attributes or traits that, uh, that go along with ADD. So yeah, um, I think it's very brave that you're able to write those things. And also I think it's kind of healing for people too, in a way um to hear these stories and um they can look at it and be like oh that's me i've experienced that absolutely and you on 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 doing such a beautiful series i think it's really masterful and um is there a plan to do any plans to do more of them or 
Um, well, thank you so much for saying that, Matt. Yeah. It means a lot to me. Um, right now, the there are no there are no plans. There are no plans to not do them, and there's no plans to do them. You know, we're we're just seeing how people respond to the first season, and I'm also trying to decide if that another another season of Monster Stories is is inside of me. Um, yeah, you know, because if if I'm not ready for it, then you know, I, I don't know. I I feel like we have such a wonderful team of incredible artists who um, would love to come and and do another season, which is um, uh, such a privilege. Would be such a privilege to be able to work with them again. Um, but uh, yeah, right now it's just sort of a a question mark. But I I think it's really cool, Matt, though, that you you started this um, because of your diagnosis. And I think, you know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about representation. Everyone talks about what representation is, you know, and it's like a word. We we always hear the word, right. Representation, representation. But when you think about it, like I have at different points in my life made, made decisions that were harmful to myself because I did not understand what I was dealing with or going through right so yeah like for for instance you know my sexuality like i'm i'm a gay woman and i think that like gay women have been highly underrepresented in everything from literature to film and television um or you know uh, i'm also a person who's had some different kinds of trauma in my life and I think the more that we are able to put those kinds of stories in front of people not only are people able to be seen which is extremely important to see themselves but then they will also be able to find different kinds of pathways to take that are healthier and happier um, more resolved choices for themselves because there are there are examples of of those kinds of um, potholes and pitfalls right there in front of them. I think like when we talk about representation, that's the part that I think often gets ignored. It's not just about like, oh, I want to see myself. It's it's I want to see myself so that I can understand myself, so that I can reflect back on people who look like me and who have gone through things that I have gone through. Um, I think that that's really why storytelling is so absolutely important and um, why why narrative storytelling, why fiction is so important because you're able to put yourself in that driver's seat and 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 go down a path with someone who might look like you and therefore go down a different path in your own life. Uh, it's not exactly always that perfect, but I feel like, I don't know, I've been thinking a lot about that and 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 why representation is so important and for me right now in this moment like that that's the reason for me well i think that's beautiful and i i support and believe in you and everything you you've done so far has been incredible and i think it's awesome that you're that you want more of that because it it needs to happen and i completely agree with you so thank you for uh cheering that on yeah Thank you for cheering yeah. it on. You're doing yeah, it too. Course. This is awesome. Thanks. Um, 
So uh, DreamWise is a podcast about dreaming. Um, uh, what are some of the things that have helped you um, get to your dream? Just personally, or is there anything that kind of kept you going? Um, what are some things that have helped you along the way with getting your dreams uh, realized? Um, therapy. <laughs> therapy is like a big one um i love my therapist shout out to sarah kenny here in la i i feel like um you know i started going to therapy really full-time right about a year before i started developing monster land and I think that there is certainly a correlation between the two. I think that I started to um, take more risks in my own life, personal life and uh, professional life after I started going to therapy because I was able to handle uh, different stresses and situations and triggers and traumas in a, um, in a healthier way. You know, it's like- That's beautiful. I always think about therapy that like, you know, life is sort of like one metaphor for life is that you're at a, at the bottom of a well, right? Like if, if you've had, if you've had trauma or if you have, if you're struggling with anything, um, you're, you find yourself there at the bottom of a well, right? And it's dark yeah. and it's damp and like, you don't know how to climb out of it, but therapy gives you a rope. And so like therapy, it doesn't mean you're not going to be down at the bottom of the well again. It just means that you're going to have tools to climb out. Um, and so I think that when I started going to therapy, like the whole world started opening up for me because I wasn't afraid to go to certain spaces and places within myself and externally. Um, so I guess therapy is a, is a really big one. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I do therapy and it's, it's the best tool. Yeah. It teaches you just how to handle things. It, yeah. You know, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's wonderful. Um, so what did, what advice would you have to writers out there that are just um, starting out? What would you, what would you tell them? Um, well, find your community first and foremost, I think find, find a community and whether that is like, you know, if you're a playwright, if that's a community of a bunch of actors and, and techies, like I started who want to make some stuff with you, then like, that's awesome. If that is a community of writers, if that's a writer's group that you want to be a part of, then that's awesome. If that's, you know, an agent who you find that really believes in you or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Just find a community that is going to tell you yes, um, because you don't want to end up somewhere in a group that is telling you no. Um, it doesn't matter what community that is. It doesn't matter if, you know, if that was if I had gone to the Yale School of Drama and I got there and they were just suddenly like, all your plays are, are shit and your voice shouldn't be heard, I should have left. I would have left. Um, fortunately, they didn't say that. But like, it doesn't matter what community you're in. If they're telling you no, get out. If they're telling you yes, stay there and grow. Um, work work really hard. I don't write every day, but when I do write, I I write deeply. I think deeply about it. I spend a lot of time 
on what I'm working with. I do multiple drafts and I really dig in deep. So work, work really hard. Um, and just be kind to everyone around you because, you know, I don't necessarily believe in networking, but I do know that the way that you are given opportunities is when people want to have you around. Um, and I think that the best way to foster environments around you that are positive is just to be kind to everyone. Um, so true. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. that that's what I would say is find a community, take risks, work hard and be kind. And then I swear to God, it, you'll get it. You'll get whatever your dream is. You'll get it. I think I always feel like if I can do this, anyone can do this. And I really mean that because I don't think of myself as being like, you know, God's gift to writing necessarily. I think I just, I work hard and I think I've stayed focused and true to myself. And if you can do that, I mean, you can do anything you want to, anything you want to. I really believe it's possible. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you so much. That's really good advice. I'm going to take your advice. Thank you so much. <laughs> Matt, um, you're doing it though. Everybody loves you. I remember when you came, I'll, I'll sing your praises for a minute right now. But like when you came to our set, um, our scripty was like, oh my God, Matt, I know that guy. Like some of the crew knew you and you're so wonderful because oh, you thanks. you'll go anywhere and work, which I think is like, I, yeah. I think that's a really remarkable thing about you is that you're willing to fly anywhere to have, you know, to get jobs, take jobs and, and have experiences. And I think you've built yourself like a really great um, community of, of like followers and, and people who really love you both in the production experience and off screen. I was telling you before we started, you know, I was watching with that's my friends awesome. and they were like, Oh man, I know that guy. We love that guy. We've seen him that's on this, awesome. that, and the other. So oh, thank you. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I love being part of the, the show. It was an incredible experience. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, uh, one last question. I want to ask you about succession real quick. Okay. Um, what was your experience working on that show? Because it's it's incredible as well. It is. It's such a great show. I mean, my my time on Succession was brief. Um, I was only I only worked on the second season, and I wrote one episode for the second season. And I was not Dundee, in right? Dundee. Yeah. yeah, I was not in production on that episode because um, Monsterland ended up being. Uh, greenlit and so and they were happening at the same time and so oh, I had gotcha. to go and and run the writer's room on Monsterland but I got to spend about three and a half months in London uh, working with um, Jesse Armstrong who runs that show and all of the absolutely brilliant um, writers who had been a part of the show most of them since the first season um, and they're just awesome. They're like the X-Men. They're just like they're totally impenetrable brilliant little wonderful writer com comedic geniuses i mean they're just and also just the fucking nicest people on the planet it was such a privilege to be a part of that room and and um uh and also like you know experience the way that a writer's room in the uk works a little bit differently than in the u.s uh, Jesse led really short days, really short days. Oh. I was used to being in these like 
you know, U.S. writers' rooms where you just hear horror stories about how you had to stay until midnight or 1 a.m. working on a story or blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And Jesse, I think we would go in for like four hours a day and the entire first hour of the day would always just be kind of like chit-chat about what we did the night before, what we were watching and stuff. And so we really – and then there was like half an hour in the middle where we would have tea. And so probably we only worked about two and a half hours every single day and still got a lot done. Um, And that was really um, inspiring to me because I thought what a healthy way – what a healthy environment, what a healthy way to, yeah. to run a room um, so that you were also able to have a life, a personal life, or you were able to work on other projects, which takes I did. I was. Takes the pressure valve off. Yeah, it takes the pressure valve off. And, and it was just like a really easy, friendly, happy space to to get to inhabit for three three months with those guys. So it was a lot of fun and and that show is just so um it's just well built from the beginning you know the characters yeah. are just so um well drawn and so coming into it uh it, it was just such a pleasure it was a total delight that's awesome yeah that's awesome well uh thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me um where can people find you on uh online or you know, online I'm on I'm on Instagram. Um, nice, Mary 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 Laws Mary at Mary Christina Laws I think is my handle. Um, so I'm online there. Come check me out. But then also please uh, watch Monsterland, which is yeah, watch Monsterland. now streaming on Hulu. It's eight episodes yeah. of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Mary, I wish you so much more success, and I hope all your dream your new dreams come true. <laughs> I support you. You're wonderful. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks, Maddie. You too. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Awesome. This cool. is really fun. Thank yeah. you so much for asking yeah. me. Of course. We'll take care and tell Heather I said bye. I will. Thanks right. for everything, Maddie. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. Stay in touch, All okay? Right. I will. All right. Okay. Peace. Bye. Bye. Daydreaming. Wow, that was awesome. Mary Laws, thank you so much. Uh, You're so talented, amazing, super cool. So great to interview you. I hope to work with you again and again because you're the best. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, my daydreamers. Uh, Thanks for coming by. Check us out on Apple Podcasts or on the YouTubes. Like and subscribe and comment. If you could please do that, I'd really appreciate it. I guess it helps with the algorithm of getting people to listen. Uh, So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you all out there. uh, I hope all your dreams come true. Make sure to follow them. Listen to your heart and stay cool. Stay blessed and stay awesome. Thank you for listening. And I bid you adieu. Goodbye. Day.